Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. We get to finish that chapter today. I know it's, it's rare that we finish a chapter, but a little book, we get to finish the chapter today. And Matthew 19 has been a good one for us. It's been full of questions. I just went through it last night and looked at, I just read it again and, and noticed all the questions that we had in it. Uh, we started out with the question, is it okay to divorce anybody for any reason? That's where we started the chapter. Then we went into, what do I have to do to have eternal life? That's a big question. What, is, what do we have to do to get eternal life, to have heaven when we die? Then last week we asked, who can be saved? Uh, Jesus says it's impossible. I mean, it's hard. It, it, it's hopeless. And then uh, the, the disciples said, well, who can be saved? He said, well, God, all things are possible. Uh, so we asked that question. And today we get one final question at the end of Matthew 19. And the question is a big one. I think it's an important one for everybody in here today. We're going to ask the question, is following Christ worth it? Is it worth it to do what we do in following Christ? Is it worth it to forsake all and to follow Him? And we're going to answer that. And I'm going to ahead and answer it. I'll answer it throughout the sermon. I say, and you get to decide today what you think, I say, yes, it is worth it to follow the Lord Jesus Amen. Christ. Amen. Uh, everything that we give up, everything that we have to do, it is worth it and a thousand times more to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's stand together. I'm going to read. Verses 27 through 30, as we ask this question today, is following Christ worth it? Is it worth it? Now, I want you to say yes today. I want at the end of the sermon, I'm going to ask that question to you. You have to answer that today. So let's look at it. Starting in verse 27. It says, Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And that question is, what's in it for us? Is it worth it? And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And every one that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Now I think he answers this question today very clearly, that it is worth it to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's pray together and we'll study these verses. Father, we thank you for answering the big questions. I know a lot of times we go digging for the, the small, small questions of life, and we'll do that tonight. But here this morning, we're answering one of the big questions of life. And I think it's something we all need to answer. It's something for me to answer. It's something for uh, every adult in this room to answer. It's something for our children to answer. So they're looking at their lives right now and say, is it worth it for me to give my life to Christ? So but I think this is something we all need to hear today. Maybe reminded of it, maybe to hear it for the first time, that it is worth it to follow Christ. The disciples will say it. Men throughout history have said it. Uh, I'll say it today. It is so worth it to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. So help me, God, to explain that today well, so that everybody that walks out of here can say that. Yes, I want to forsake all and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. So help us here today, and we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. We've all heard the saying, I'm sure you've heard it, but you have to hear it now. Uh, and it's a common saying for us to say in church, or even to be said in books or in songs. And the saying is that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Or to turn that around, it would say everything minus Jesus equals nothing. That, that's the math of a Christian. That Jesus plus nothing equals having everything. And that, and that everything minus Jesus. You can have everything in the world, and you don't have Jesus, and you in fact have nothing. That's the math of a Christian. It means that we have Jesus and nothing else in the world. We still have everything that matters if we have Jesus. That having Jesus is the only thing in the world that matters. If Jesus is all that we need and, and Jesus is all that we have, then we have everything that the world has to offer in Jesus. So we, we've heard that. We say that. I was actually expecting an amen from that, but that's okay. So I have to ask, do we mean it when we say it? That Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Do we mean that? Do we really believe that, that the, the, the person who has Jesus and nothing else has everything? Do we really believe that when we look out and see somebody, and, and even we look at a missionary overseas, and, and they, they have nothing. They have no car. They have no money. They're living in huts. They're, they're sick. It's just a struggle. They don't have family. And, and they even die in the mission field and never come back. And you look at them and you say, oh, how pitiful they are. 
Or do you look at them and say, they have Jesus, they have everything? Do we really mean that? Do we mean, do we believe that the person who has everything but doesn't have Jesus, in fact, has nothing? Do you look out in the world and you see Hollywood and you see celebrities and you see rich people and you see all these people that are high and given honor and, and politicians and you look at them and you say, I want what they have. Or you look at them and you say, boy, they really don't have anything at all. Because they don't have Jesus. Do we really believe that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Do we believe that? Because that's the question that we have in front of us here today with, with Peter. Is Jesus really worth more than anything else in the world to us? That's the question that, that he's going to answer here. Because Jesus has just looked at the rich young ruler. We've been looking at this passage, and he, and he called the rich young ruler. The guy who had everything that the world could offer. And he looked at him and he said, I want you to go. He asked him, he said, what must I do to have eternal life? He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to forsake everything that you have. I want you to sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, and then follow me. And then you'll have riches in heaven. You'll have the treasures of heaven. So he looked at him and he gave it to him up front. Here's what it takes. No concrete, no hidden cost. Here's the deal. Give everything you have up and then follow me and you'll have everything. And the rich young ruler started to weigh those things out. Everything, the riches of this world, or Christ. And he sit there, and you, you, we, we studied just a few weeks ago, he started to balance that out and say, which one would I rather have? Would I rather have the riches of this world, or whether, would, I, would I rather have Jesus? And that's where we all are. Would I rather have what the world offers us, because Satan is going to do everything in his power to offer you everything in the world. And you have to balance that out and say, which is worth it? Is it worth having what the world offers, or is it worth having what Jesus offers? And that's what Peter asked him here. As he walks the, uh, watches the rich man walk away, where the rich man couldn't give it up, he said, what the world gives me is more important, more valuable, has more worth than anything Jesus offers me. And the rich young ruler walked away because he didn't believe that Jesus was nothing equal to everything. And says he walked away sad. And he walked away sorrowful. And Peter looks at Jesus seeing the cost of being a Christian. Of giving it all up. And he asks this all-important question in verse 27. Is it worth it? Jesus, is it worth it? Is that saying true? That Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Is following Jesus worth more than anything else in the world? That's what he's asking here. And that's what we're going to answer today. That, that's the question of today. And I want to answer it again. And I told you, I'm going to answer it over and over and over. Because my answer is yes, beyond a shadow of a doubt, it is 100%, 1,000%, 10,000% worth it to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Our God is a rewarder of those who follow him and forsake all. He's not going to not bless us. He is a God who blesses those who follow him. And I'm going to show you that today. That it is exceedingly abundant and far above anything that we could ever imagine. What God gives us for all that we give up. So let's look at it today. I want you to see that the blessings of following Jesus far outweighs any and everything we'll ever give up. So is it worth it to follow Christ? I'm going to give you the first point. I'm going to give you the reasonable question that he asks in verse 27. The reasonable question. Starting in verse 27, Peter speaks up and says, Then answer Peter, and he says, and, and we talked about it in Sunday school this morning, that's that my favorite word. Behold, it is, it's a word that tries to get your attention. It's a word where Peter is, they're maybe all watching the rich young ruler walk away, and, and Peter's sitting there thinking, he couldn't give it up. Is it really worth it? All that we have given up, and he watches him walk away, and he gets Jesus' attention by saying, Behold, look at me. I've got a question. Behold, pay attention. And he says, we've done two things, Jesus. We have, and you need to underline these words. This was the cost of following Jesus. We have forsaken all. I, I would underline that. I would highlight that. Have you done these two things? Forsaken all and followed you. We've given everything up. We've turned our back on everything. We've repented, and we are now following you. We've done what the rich man wouldn't do. He wouldn't forsake his riches. He wouldn't follow. We've done what he refused to do. We did it. We made that decision. We, we made the break. We, we, we decided to follow Jesus. 
No turning back. We've done what he wouldn't do. And they had. And these guys had forsaken all. They answered the call. Yeah. When Jesus looked at them and said, follow me, these guys dropped their nets. And that was their job. They quit their job. These guys stepped out of the boats. These guys left their tax tables. These guys said goodbye to their families. These guys left their paycheck. These guys picked up their cross and they followed him, stride for stride, day after day. They walked with him in the good days when the crowds were, were all around them. They followed him in the bad days when the crowds wanted to kill them. They had forsaken all and followed Jesus. They did. And they looked at him and doing what everybody else wouldn't do. And he says that. Look at it. We've forsaken all the followers. We've done it. We've done what that guy wouldn't do. We've done what all the other crowds wouldn't do. We've sold out. We're all in. We've done it. John 6. Jesus taught some hard things and the whole crowd walked away. And Jesus looked at the disciples and said, you going to go away too? They said, where can we go? You have the words of life. We're with you in this. In the good days and in the bad days, in the, in the mountaintops and in the valleys, we've completely sold out to following Jesus. They've done what not many people did then and not many people are doing today. They've forsaken all of all. So now the only reasonable question is, what's in it for us? Do you see that? We've given everything up, Jesus. We told our kids bye. We told our wife bye. We left our job. We don't have a place to lay our head. What are we going to do? Is it worth it? Look what it says. What shall we have there for? <clears throat> so Peter speaks up and says what everybody else is thinking. He says, what's in it for us? What do we get out of it? Is it worth all we've given up? Does the gain outweigh the pain? Are there more crowns than crosses? Do we receive more than we give up? That's the question. And some people would say it's a selfish question and that we should follow Jesus just for the glory of God. And that, that, okay, if you're that mature, then I commend you for that. But I'm not that mature. And I think Peter was that mature. I'm going to look at it and say, what do we get out of it? I think it's a good question. I think it's a, a vital question. I, I think the disciples need to hear this answer. Because it's not just what they gave up at that point. But when Jesus goes to the cross, and Jesus dies, and Jesus is buried, and he's risen again, and he ascends, and he leaves them there, they're going to be paying a cost. They're all going to die a martyr's death. They need to know, is it worth it? As they're being persecuted, as they're being as, as looked down upon, as they're dying, can they say it's worth it? They need to hear this answer. I think it's worth it in the church that we go out and evangelize and we look at people and our message is forsake everything and follow Christ. Repent and put your faith in Him. Yeah. And they're going to look at us and say, what? Is it worth it? We better have an answer. Is it worth it? You're telling me. That's, that's, that's what makes salvation so hard. We're telling people to forsake everything. Be willing to give up everything that you love to follow Christ. Not that you have to, but you have to be willing to. We better be able to answer the question of, is it worth it? I think it's important for my kids. And I'm just going to get personal here. As I was writing this down last night, I thought... My kids need to know it's worth it. Amen. I've got five kids now. And every one of them are asked to give up a lot because of their dad. Every one of them is asked to do things that not a lot of kids are asked to do. They're asked to be here not three times a week. My kids, are, uh, one of them told me the other day, and I can't remember which one it was, but I have so many. But one of them looked at me the other day and said, Dad, the only place we go is home to church. It's home to church. It's home to church. It's home to church. And I said, there's a smile on my face saying, where else do you want to go? Yeah. You know, it's pandemic season. <laughs> they miss practice. They miss games. They don't watch what other kids watch. They don't do what other kids do. 
They were asked to give up the law. And they, they may not ask it out loud right now, but they see other friends and they see other people and they, they, they see what everybody else is doing and they're not allowed to do it and everybody else is, is, is living the way they want to live. And, and they're, they're at teenagers, they're, they're just living it up and they look at their own lives and say, home and church, home and church, home and church. They may not ask it out loud, but I'm sitting there thinking, maybe in their minds, they're sitting there thinking, is this worth it? Is it worth doing this? And they need to have that answer. I need to have that answer. In the days ahead of us, as it's going to get harder and harder to be a Christian in America, that we might have to give up jobs, and we might have to give up relationships, where people will say, you believe that? You're, you're cut off. You follow him? You're cut off. We're going to have to have this answer. When it gets hard in America, we're going to have to come back to, is it worth it? Jesus doesn't get mad at him for asking this. And Jesus looks at him and says, Verily, I say unto you. I think he looks at him and says, I know you have. I know what you've given up. And I don't expect anybody to follow me without there being blessings that go with And he gives us here, and I'm going to move to point number two. After the the reasonable question, I want to give you the rich reward. And this is where I want to really stick today. Because in these two verses, verse 28 and 29, he gives us three rewards for following him. And this is for everybody. Now I want you to see this in verse 28. He says, here's the reward for those who have followed me. And then verse 29, he says, here's the rewards for those who have forsaken all. So he gives a reward here for those who are following Christ. Here's the rich reward. And I believe as we go, three rewards is going to get rich, richer, riches. And I think it's going to get good, better, so you can just follow along with me. I'm going to give you all three rewards that he gives us to those who have followed and those who have forsaken. So let's look at these rich rewards that he says. It's like Jesus is saying, here's proof that it's worth it. Here's what you get if you forsake and follow. Here's what you get. Here's your reward. I love this. I want to start with the, the present reward, the reward for right now. Because it's not just heaven. He rewards us right now. Watch this. I want to move down to verse 29. I want to start with the present reward. I know it's a little bit out of order, but I'm going to go present, future, eternal. Present, future, eternal. Present reward, verse 29. And everyone that hath forsaken houses, brethren, sisters, father, mother, wife, children, lands, all for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold. So he says, everyone that hath forsaken, this is universal application. Anybody who gives up these things without exception will receive in return 100-fold. You say, when is this? When do we receive 100-fold? You're telling me I give up a house, I get 100 houses? You're telling me I give up a lot, I get 100 lots? What does this mean? When is this? Well, let me read you two verses. Mark 10, the same passage, 1030, says, 100 times now in this time. Luke 18 says, same passage, in this present time. So he's giving us here a promise of a present and now reward. It's not just something later. This is something he's going to give us right now. And I know what you're sitting there thinking. You're thinking, Josh is turning to a prosperity preacher. He's telling us that God, if we follow him, he's going to give us a hundred times in return. Now, I'm not a prosperity preacher. I just believe that Jesus is going to ruin our lives. He thinks he give us a life and a life more abundant. Amen. Amen. You say, well, what does it mean? Here's, here's the two things that I think it means. Now. How does he bless us now? He says anybody who's given up, forsaken, houses, brethren, sisters, father, mother, wife, children, lands, for my sake, shall receive a hundred times. A hundred times. That's a ten thousand percent return. Anything you give up is given back to you hundred times now. You say, Josh, explain that to me. I, I, I've given up and I'm not back. I've lost a friend for following Christ, but I've not gotten a hundred friends back for following Christ. How does this work? Well, here's, here's the, the two ways that it works. Number one, I think it has a spiritual blessings that we have in Christ in that he gives us better relationships. For every friend that you lose, 
I think you gain a hundred brothers and sisters in Christ. For every house that you give up, and I love that, for every friend that has ever turned their back on me for following Christ, and said, I can't believe you're living like that, and you believe in that, and your views are so much different than my views, I can't be your friend anymore, we can't do things together anymore. For every friend that I've lost, I've made a hundred friends within the house of God. The best friends I have in the entire world are no longer out there, they're in here. Man. You want to add something else? For any house that you give up, the, the, you say a hundred houses? Let me say this. There are, and I don't say a hundred houses, but there are all kinds of houses in this room right now. They may not be my houses, but you would look at me right now, some of you may not, and you'd say, you're welcome in my house anytime. Somebody should say amen. I'm looking for somebody to eat lunch with. <laughs> you said amen. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll come to your house. Be careful with your amen. It's true not just to you. But it's true as you go out into another city or another state or another country. But you walk into a place and you say, I don't know anybody. I, I, what am I going to do? And then you run into a Christian and it's just like you run into a brother. And they say, come into my house. And you can have anything that I, that I have to eat in this house. I sit down one time in Los Angeles, California. And there was traffic. And me and a couple of my buddy, classmates were, went into a house with a bunch of, of other Christians. And we walked into this house and there was, I sit down and I had a Jewish man make me a bacon sandwich. And I don't think that's funny, but it's not very kosher for a Jewish man to make bacon. And I thought, I'll never forget this. As he's sitting there frying that bacon, and I, I got, I'm down thinking, bacon? Good. Jewish man making me bacon. Even better. I, I love this. And, 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 yeah, I don't know why I told you that. But I didn't know that man. I mean, he was a pastor in Jerusalem. you give up, you gain hundreds of houses that welcome you. For every father that you lose that may disown you, I couldn't tell you how many people in church has been like a father to me. Well, you lose a mother, and there's ladies in the church that takes you under their wings and says, let me be a mother to you. And one of the greatest blessings in all the world is when your actual mother and father become your spiritual mother and father in the church. Yeah. I've got to move on, but there's hundreds of relationships that you gain, hundreds of homes that you gain just from being in the church. I'll give you the second way. I'm going to move on. Not only that, but I believe that Christ himself is greater than all those things you lose. I believe that Christ himself makes up for all the loss. Paul said in Philippians 3, but what things were gained to me, those I kind of lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but lost, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I suffer the loss of all things, and do count them but known that I may win and have Christ. Having Jesus is better than having a thousand friends. Having Jesus is better than having a thousand homes. Having Jesus is better than having a thousand moms and a thousand dads and a thousand wives. Having Jesus is greater than anything that the world can offer you. So that's the first reward. What he gives us now, presently, outweighs anything that we give up. And if that's all that he gave us, I think it'd be worth it, but he gives us another one. You guys ready for this one? That's the future reward. Move back to verse 28. This is verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me, when is this? In the regeneration. When the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory. So those who have followed, without exception, will in the regeneration. This moves us ahead when Jesus sits on his throne, when the earth is, that's what the word regeneration means, when the earth is reborn or when it's recreated. Acts 3 falls at the time of refreshing or the era of rest. It is when paradise on earth is regained. When Christ sits on the throne that was promised to him long ago, he sits over the world with the people that was promised to him. We call this the earthly millennial reign of Christ. The regeneration. When Jesus will sit on his throne, Psalm 2 promised it. I want you to turn with me to Revelation 20. Again, this is a future reward. We have a present reward, and then we have a future one. Revelation 20. You'll have to hold your spot there, but I'm going to come back to it in just a second. Revelation chapter 20, verse 1, speaks of this. 
And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon of the old serpent, which is the devil, Satan, and bound him. For how long? You guys that are with me, a thousand years. That's a millennium. And cast him in the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him. Then he should receive the nations no more until a thousand years should be fulfilled. Then he must be loosed to a little season. And I saw thrones, and they set upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark on their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for how long? A thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. And this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second day that no power, they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. That's the a thousand year reign of Christ. That's the regeneration. That's the recreation. That when Jesus comes back and he sits upon his throne in Jerusalem, and we live with him. Oh, yeah, it's the Old Testament saints and, and Israel, his people, and then it's the, the church that will all be together living with Christ for a thousand years. That's the millennial reign of Christ. I like this. Jesus will come back and he'll make the world great again. Not meaning to get political. The only one that can make the world great again. And maybe the best way of saying is making the world good again. Because in Genesis 3, Genesis 2, he said it was all good. And then sin came in and marred it and messed it up and deformed it and made it what it is today when the world isn't what it was meant to be. But Jesus is going to come back and he's going to recreate the world and make it what it once was in the garden, a, a, a paradise regained, what it's like right now. He said, what's, what's it going to be like for a thousand years? That's a reward that he offers us. You guys, you may be getting bored of that, but a thousand years on, on earth with Christ ruling and reigning over us is going to be a wonderful, rich reward that we all should look forward to. Amen. There's some churches that, that preach that it isn't a, 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 a literal thousand years. They were living in that right now. And I say, fooey on you. That's right. That's right. Well, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> if, it, if it's not a thousand years, he says an awful, awful lot in, in this passage. A thousand years, a thousand years, a thousand years. They say it's now. I say it can't be now. You say, why can't it be now? Because right now, things are really, really bad. Yeah. Well, you think about it. Right now, our world is full of lies. I mean, uh, our nation at this moment is being built on, a, uh, uh, on lies upon lies upon lies. Lies are everywhere. Yeah. It's an evil world. Everywhere we look, it's evil. I have to hide my kids' eyes constantly. Yeah. Don't look at that. Don't see that. Don't hear that. Commercials. Saw a commercial the other day for crackers. Ritz crackers. One of my favorite. I used to put cheese on it. Squeeze cheese. You just long time ago. And just an ugly, evil commercial. No more. That's right. Evil, cover your eyes. Our world is full of war and misery. Right now, Satan is loose. He's the prince of the power of the air. And he's just, he's just going around like a roaring lion, seeking who he can destroy. That's right. Think about it. The curse reigns. The Romans says that creation moans, that criminals aren't in prison. Justice is not served, and our King Jesus is not on his throne. That's right now. We get old. Turned 40 last week. What's happening to me? I need glasses, but I won't wear them because I'm stubborn. I refuse to get old. We get sick. That's now. What do we long for? A time when truth dominates. A time when righteousness will flourish, when peace will prevail. I wrote all these down. When joy will abound, when Satan will be bound, when justice will be served, where Jesus will rule and reign on the throne of David that was promised to him, when children will be able to go outside and play with serpents, when lions will lay down with lambs, when deserts will look like gardens, when the world will be full of healing and health and long life and longevity. That's a world we look forward to. And that's what he promises those who follow him and forsake all. What a rich reward. Amen. And he says there, and I don't want to, I don't want you to miss it. Hold your place in Revelation, because we'll come back to it. Now watch this. 
Verily I say unto you that you which have followed me, that in the regeneration, when Jesus will sit on the throne of his glory, he'll be a throne. I don't know a whole lot about what the thousand year reign will be like, but I know it'll be better than what it is today. Amen. And it won't be President Trump, and it won't be Joe Biden, and it won't be whoever else is leading over or whatever nation you want to lead over. It will be Jesus Christ ruling and reigning over the world from the throne of Jerusalem. Amen. And it says, watch this, and the disciples will sit on, upon 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. The twelve disciples will sit and judge over, rule over the twelve tribes of Israel with him. It's a time for the restoration not only of the, of the world, but of, of the Jewish people when God will bring them back in. Amen. And the twelve disciples will rule over the twelve nations and sit on thrones with the Lord Jesus Christ. What a promise for these guys. I and mean, we don't get that. I don't get a throne like that. But they do. That's pretty good. They will share in his triumph. We will share his triumph for a thousand years. Millennium. That's good. Number three, we'll move on. The eternal reward. If you're following with me, we have a present reward. We have a future reward. We have a thousand years to look forward to living on this earth. My kids have asked me, what's one thousand years? What are we going to do for a thousand years? It'll be what we were meant to do in the Garden of Eden when everything started. It'll be good. It'll be time for us to walk with Christ. It'll be time for us to talk with Christ. Isaiah asked me one day if we'll be able to fly. I said, I hope so. So I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to spend a week over here, and I'm going to set me up a little place in town. It's going to be great. <laughs> I don't know what it'll be like, but it'll be better than what it is now. And it'll be for a thousand years. Number three, the last reward of the offers. We ought to look forward to these things. I think we enjoy now way too much. Yeah. And we don't long for, you're sitting there thinking, a thousand years? I'd rather, I'd rather live for myself for 70 years here. It don't make sense. A thousand years? 70 years. 80 years. Last one. We've seen the present reward. We see the future reward, and I want to show you the last one, the eternal reward. At the end of verse 29, it says, everyone that has forsaken houses and brethren and sisters and fathers and mothers and wives and children and lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold. And that last little phrase, and then shall inherit the everlasting life. Again, those who forsake and follow, done what the rich man refused to do, will have everlasting life. The same thing he talked about in verse 16. I want eternal life in verse 16. Jesus says we'll have life in verse 17, verse 21. He says, uh, come you'll have treasure in heaven. He's talking about the eternal state. This is after the 1,000-year reign. There's some events that's going to take place between the 1,000-year reign and the eternal state. We don't have to get into those things. But now he's talking about the eternal reward, the everlasting heaven. And I'm going to ask you to turn back to Revelation real quick and show you a little bit of heaven. You could do a whole series on heaven. I think people would love it. So watch what it says. Revelation 21. I'll just read verse 25. It says, I saw a new heaven. And you'll notice that we read the first six verses of Revelation 20. And then there's some, some thing. At verse, I don't have time to get into it. I don't want to miss it. Revelation 20, verse 7 says, When a thousand years are expired, when a thousand years are over, what happens? Satan will be loose out of prison. And shall go out to deceive the nations which are on the four quarters of the earth, God and Magog. And if you can read all that, one final battle there. And then after that, Revelation 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven, the first earth were passed away. There was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Here's our word again, David. Behold, the tabernacle of God is now with men. And I want you to notice this. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all their tears from their eyes. And there will be no more, watch this, no more. I love the no mores of this verse. There shall be no more death, 
neither, nor, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Right, for these words are true and faithful. That's what we come to look forward to. A perfect place with a perfect body, with perfect people, and our God. The main thing of that whole passage right there is God will be with us. And we will be with him for all eternity. Where we'll have all the treasures of heaven. And I want you to see this. He gave us three rewards. A present, a future, and an eternal. Think about that. We're putting these things on scales. You want to put them on scales with me? To see which one's worth more? You ready? You ready? Disciples have been asked to give up old rickety boats, broken fishnets, and a poor paint job. And they have now been given a present reward, a future reward, and an eternal reward. Now you tell me which one's worth more. I don't know what, they, they, they gave up their life. They may have gave up family. They may have gave up riches and honor and all that the world can offer. But if you put these three things together, and not to mention that we get Christ, and whatever it is we've given up, it's far outweighed by what we get. Amen. Jesus didn't come to take treasure away from us. He came to give us a great treasure. Amen. And that's what this passage is teaching. It's a win, win, win for us. We get an extravagant reward. First Peter 1 says this, that we have an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that faith not away, that is reserved for us in heaven. And it is kept by the power of God through faith and salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So there's the, the rich reward. I've got one more point in, in about 10 minutes here. We'll get done. We, we've seen so far the reasonable question. I've shown you the rich reward. I want to show you now the reverse order. So verse 30, he says, I value people a little bit different than the world does. Verse 30, the many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. This is a warning to those who are first, and an encouragement to those who are last. The warning to those who are first, who, who's, let's get back to the passage, who's first in this passage? If we're looking at verse, let's start verse 16 and go all the way to verse 30. Who is the, the first in this passage? The one who is who is a, has all the possessions and has all the prestige and has all the popularity and all the, all the pleasures that is the highest places and, and the most honored. They're looking at first place is the rich young ruler. He has everything. He has everything that the world could, could ever offer. And the world looks up to him. The world honors him. The world thinks that he has everything. But he walked away without Jesus. And walking away without Jesus, it says the first shall end up being last. Same thing we started with. Yeah. That everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Everything minus Jesus equals last. Everything in the world says I'm first, but in the, in, in the next world, you're last. Look what it says. For many that are first shall be last. There's going to be a reverse. The world's way says get all that you can while you can. And hang on to it as long as you can. Jesus says those who are first will be last. To be first here and last hereafter. Like the rich man Lazarus. The rich man in that parable had everything that the world could offer. Ate lavishly clothed and everything that he could ever have. And Lazarus had nothing but dogs licking his sores. Would not he be last? And the rich man first? And then they died. And I, I could probably take you to read you the parable. And the roles switch. And that guy who had everything, the rich man who had it all in this world, had nothing in the next world. Right. Nothing. Had everything. Christ and end up with nothing. And there's an encouragement for those who are last. Who's the last in this passage? The disciples. That's who's last here. 
I mean, they, they, that's the weekend of everything. We're, we're last. We're looked down on. We're, we're looked over. We're considered losers and, and laughed at. And, and we're lowly. In this story, the disciples are considered last. The world looks at them and says, they have nothing at all. They don't have a place to lay their head. They give all their money to this man named Judas who puts it in his pocket. They have nothing at all. The world looks down on the disciples. Think about that. In our world today, who do you consider first? Those who have it all, everything. They, they have all the food they want. They have the nicest clothes and the nicest cars and the nicest homes. And everybody looks up to them. They have, they have all the pleasures of the world. They're first. Who is the most looked down people throughout history in the world? The church. Who are they? They give everything up. They have nothing. And Jesus said everything will change in your after. Amen. In the end, they'll be first. This is heaven's perspective. This is a divine, eternal perspective. If God makes the final assessment, he rewards those who were last. Those who had Jesus plus nothing he ends up with everything. So what does this mean? I'll get ready to close. For the small church pastor who labors year after year after year after year after year after year after year, and never writes a book, never preaches a conference, has nobody to pat him on the back, the world looks down on him. Sometimes even Christianity looks down on him because he doesn't have a big enough church, enough people, enough notoriety, enough followers on Twitter. In the world's eyes, a small little church pastor. With nobody and had nothing. He's last. But in, in heaven, everything changes. And that small little church pastor, I'm not talking about myself. That small little church pastor that nobody knows about, that is faithfully plodding away for years, that nobody knows. Christ is going to be first. Yeah. Everything. Appreciation Day. There's never, and there should be, ain't 
put up pastor's kids. Because we're asked to do so much. They miss practices, they miss games. Their teammates look at them and say, why can't you do this? And they have to say, I'll go to church. Yeah. My dad made me go to church. On Wednesday? <laughs> Who has church on Wednesday? My kids. I say my kids. The pastor's kids. <laughs> they roll around. Yeah. They can't watch what everybody watches. They can't do what everybody else does. And everybody says, you're missing out. You're missing out. I'll tell you this. My kids sitting here, one day they'll be reversed. That's right. And those who think you're last now, you'll be first then. What about missionaries? Man, that's why I call missionaries our heroes. Because they go to do. We haven't lost anything, my faith. We've not given up anything. I look at my life and compared to some missionaries that we've had come in this church, and they come rolling in vans that can't even work, smoke coming out of them, no gas money, grid, and who knows where they drove from. And they've left houses, and they've left family, and they've left brothers, and they've left sisters, and they've left fathers, and they've left wives, and they've left children, and they've left lands, and they've done it all for the gospel's sake. The world doesn't need an acknowledgement. Sometimes the church doesn't need an acknowledgement. Oh, the things will be reversed in heaven. Yeah, amen. Some of your greatest rewards will go to your missionaries who gave it all for Jesus Christ. I'll close with this. I think it's worth it. Amen. To follow the Lord Jesus Christ. The first Roman emperor was named Charlemagne. Just a few years ago, not long ago, they found his tomb. And, they, and he had an extravagant tomb surrounded by riches and all the trophies that, that he ever got in the world. It was just a massive tomb full of all the things that he got. And they walked up to him. He was still, you know how they mummified these guys. He was still in great condition. But they found a scroll in his hand he was holding. And he, had, he still had a finger pointing. To the scroll. And on the scroll was a verse. And the verse read, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whoever shall lose his life for my sake, and the gospel of the saints shall save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? It's like he was surrounded by riches. And at his death, somebody, if not him, realized none of it was worth it. Where he lost his soul. And then there's a missionary named David Livingstone. I'm giving you two examples. He gave his life to reach Africa. His famous quote is, As for me, I am determined to open Africa or perish. And he was asked, and he lost everything. And he was asked about it towards the end of his life. How did you give it all up? And he said, I never made a sacrifice that wasn't worth it. One had everything that the world has to offer and die with nothing. And one had nothing but died with Jesus and had everything. I think these are two lives that stand in contrast that tells us it's worth it to follow Jesus. But this requires eyes of faith to see it this way, and I hope you do. I hope that as you study this passage, I think it is foundational for us that we won't be afraid to forsake everything and follow him wholeheartedly. That we won't be afraid to be last in this world because we know that in the next world we'll be first. That we won't be afraid to lose it here because we'll gain it all back. This will be worth every single bit of it. Every single bit of it. Every single bit of it will be worth it. And I say this because we live in America and get this. And I, I gotta say this at the end. I've not lost it a whole lot. We live in America where we're not asked to give up. I, I, I can't say that I've given up a house. I can't say I've given up a brother or a sister or a father or a mother or a wife or a child or land. I, I'm not giving up any of these things. And it still gives me all the rewards. 
Look at us around here. We're, we live in the richest nation in the history of the world. We've not been asked, and it's been a Christian friendly nation. We've not been asked to do this. You're sitting there saying that you're like, wow, I, I really, I've got all the world has to offer, and I get what the next world has to offer. How blessed are we? Wow. We're going to be going to a parable that talks about that. that we, we've not given up a whole lot. But let me say this it's coming. And we're going to be asked to give up a lot soon. This is a pastor trying to warn you. It's already starting. Where it could become your job, it could become your family. Christians could easily become the outcasts of society. That's right. We're already seeing what one pastor called a, a winnowing of the church. Where the viewpoints and beliefs and theology and the doctrine of Christians is looked down upon and will be tossed out of society as the trash heap of the world. It's coming to America. I'm not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet, but I I watch the news. It's coming. And we're gonna to have to do exactly what they've done. What's worth it? Is it worth it to us as Christians to follow Christ? Do we really believe that everything we give up will get back? Do we really believe that the thousand year reign will be better than the badness of this world today? Do we really believe in eternal reward in heaven throughout all of eternity? It takes eyes of faith to see it that way. And I pray that God would give us those eyes of faith as Christians. I want you to decide today, is it worth it? So as we pray here in just a second, I, I want you as Christians to bow your heads and say, God, help me to see it this way. Help me to see it this way, that it is worth it, that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Help me to see it. And then for those of you here today that are unbelievers, I, I call you today to put your faith in Christ. To forsake all, that's the cost. To forsake all, the cost is so high. The cost is so high. Forsake it all and follow him. I understand that. As I stand up here as a preacher and I'm following you to salvation, I understand the cost is, is extravagant. I mean, it is so high to follow Christ. It is. Forsake everything. Be willing to forsake it all and follow him. What a cost. But I hope I've made it very clear to you today that what we get in return far outweighs anything we'll ever give up. That Jesus plus nothing truly equals everything. And what we get back will be all worth it. Don't live for this world. Don't live for what the world has to offer. Live for Christ. Because again, it's worth it. I'm not just one person up here, but I'll go ahead and say this and I'll close. This made it even more clear to me that living for Christ is worth it. It is worth it. So I ask you today, is Jesus worth it to you? Is he worth forsaking all and falling? Father, we thank you for this time you've given us today. I know this is a sobering passage. I know there's a high cost of falling. I get that. I understand. And God, I, I thank you that it's not just a high cost, but there's a great reward to it. We have to see that with eyes of faith. I need to see that with eyes of faith. That anything we give up is far, far, far outweighs what we receive. That you are a God who loves to reward those who forsake all the fall. Help us, God, to see that. Help us as Christians to believe that day. We won't just say, we won't just amen, but we'll take it to heart. So truly, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Please let us take that to heart. And God, for anybody here who's an unbeliever, I don't know how they can turn Christ down. After seeing all that he has to offer, I don't, I don't know how they can turn it down. 
So I pray, God, by the power of your spirit, as the gospel has been preached today, that you would work in their hearts and make them willing to forsake all and follow. Help them to see God today that it's working. It's working. Help our kids today to see this. And I know there's many kids in this room today. And I hope that they'll walk out saying that, that Jesus plus nothing else equals everything. Please. Put that in the hearts of our children. Following Jesus is worth it. We ask and pray this in Jesus.